You're listening to Art Speaker, the official podcast of Art Speak. I'm your host, Trevor St. Aubin. Every week, we converse with artists of all mediums. We talk about success, critique, challenges, and the role of the artist today. I think for a long time there has been this, and I think this is a, a much bigger issue than architecture, but I think this sort of, this missed or misleading idea of the goal or like you know the American dream like I said people think they're supposed to have x y and z in order to be happy or to to quote unquote be successful like you were asking about earlier and a lot of times that's expensive especially when you want to do it well you just heard from Brian Birch architect um, and the owner of Neon Architecture Uh, This dude's the real deal. He's super, super intelligent, very, very thought-provoking. I had a really good time with him. We could probably just have another podcast just talking about how art can fight gentrification, injustice, stuff like that. But um, really enjoyed sitting down with him. Um, Just a very warm personality as well. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys like it. It's Art Speaker with Brian Birch. I wanted to, because you talked about in the architecture world there's like kind of tension between like this is practical and this is creative yeah and you're more of a creative sure you lean more creative why do you think that that's well i think it's uh i don't know specifically when we were talking about it was about school and school has always sort of i think more recently actually though it's been this conversation about what should students get out of school Mm -hmm. should they learn how to think creatively and sort of do more abstract problems or problem solving, or should they come out of school with all of the technical skills equipped to be a practicing professional right away? Mm-hmm. And But on top of that, you have to go through a series of internships. So you basically have to get around three years of internship after you're out of school. So you're already required to get the professional experience before you could ever be licensed. So a lot of people make the argument that you're going to get that uh, real-world experience once you get out of school, so Mm -hmm. school should be an opportunity to do something different. Uh, And I think that's – I think it's just so important because I think uh, it's so easy to fall into the practicality, and it's so easy to fall into the – idea that I should do what everybody else is doing Mm -hmm. and I just need to sort of follow the rules and make things happen and move on. And a lot of companies, not just in architecture, I think in most professions, they sort of follow the status quo as long as the status quo makes them money. And the minute that that goes away, they're sort of at a loss because now they don't know what to do when when in reality, if they would have been exploring other ideas and initiatives, they could have probably avoided some of that. And so I think, you know, I've seen too many of my friends and, and other uh, individuals in the profession who go to work for firms who are maybe a li- little bit more uh, uh, straightforward and, and sort of less interested in exploring lots and lots of different ideas, and it's really easy to see them get burnt out. Mm. And so I think the school aspect is so important, and the creativity aspect, because it sort of, I don't know, it just opens people's eyes up to a whole other world within architecture. Uh, and not just architecture, I think just like challenging ideas mm. and and not being so stuck in this like standardized process of how things should go. Mm-hmm. So is, do you think, is your work like frowned upon in the architectural no. world? No, but I think uh, it's not necessarily, we don't, we wouldn't necessarily do things the same way another firm would. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the other piece that's maybe important in some ways is we do mostly houses and, there aren't that many firms in Indy that do exclusively houses. Mm -hmm. And if they are, a lot of them are really small, and some of them prefer to stay really small, and some of them do very, very traditional-type stuff uh, in the suburbs a lot of times, too. So I don't think that that there's necessarily any sort of negative feeling toward the idea that we should be more creative or more innovative. I think every architecture firm, in some ways, would sort of argue that they are. And I'm sure they, they have a 
attempts and desires to mm-hmm. be, but I'm sure they think that. Yeah, and I think you know, not to not to critique them, but I think there's I just can do it. yeah, you can yeah. do it. <laughs> but I just think there's this uh, there's a lot of missed opportunity, and I do want to say that I think a lot of architects in this city are really talented, but I think a lot of them, man, I don't know how people will take this, but I think some of them have sort of lost the fight hmm. or uh, desire to fight and sort of accepted the standards and processes that are in place. And I can see how that could happen because there's a lot of bureaucracy that you have to go mm-hmm. through as an architect. Yeah, You have to play politics. You have to go through variances. You have to go through public hearings. You have to go to neighborhood meetings. Everybody has an opinion on what you're doing. And a, a lot of times those opinions can impact what you do. And it's really easy, I could see over time, for people to go, you know what, this is just, this is too much. Too much fighting. I'm just going to sort of give the people what they want and never question it, never challenge it, but get mad at them. When I talk to other architects, I'm going to complain about them. I go, oh, man, if only we had the creative freedom to do what we wanted. Hmm. Clients are the worst. (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. I, um... How do how do you for you, for yourself how do you define success? Gosh, I think success is uh, just stacking paper, just making money. <laughs> exactly, that's it. right? That's what it's, <laughs> that's what it's all Mike about. <laughs> Boom, done. No, I don't know. I think success is uh, in a lot of ways success is convincing somebody they wanted something they didn't know they wanted. Hmm. So that's a good answer. I think there's a lot of Tell uh, me more about that. I think there's a lot of times where a client will come to you and they'll ask for something. And a lot of times we won't agree with what they're asking for. So you can either give them what they ask for or you can step back and go, you know what? I think we can do better. I think we can do something different. I think we have a responsibility to do something different. And it's not always an easy conversation to have with somebody, especially in... I would say, the, architecturally speaking, in the Midwest, doing residential, there's a whole nother set of, set of challenges that, that are related to size and scale and design and environmental responsibility that a lot of, a lot of people here just sort of, they, they just kind of brush over mm-hmm. and they don't, really, they don't really talk about it. So when you go to somebody and you challenge them on one of those points, sometimes they don't like it. But at the end of the day, I think if we can convince them, even if it's a small change, you know, a small change on every single house hopefully can have a big impact. And I think that's how sometimes we have to start and say, and I think that's to the point of, of my little bit of critique on other architects. Mm-hmm. And this is not always true, but it's really easy to just give the people what they want, uh, even if we don't agree with it. So I have a really hard time designing something for someone that I don't like or I don't feel good about. So you better believe I'm going to push back on them yeah. and say, eh, I don't think we should do this. What about this? Hmm. Yeah. And if we can convince them. Sure. Feels like a win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, um, now that, like, I mean, your art is your job, mm-hmm. what do you do to, like, unwind? Because a lot of people, they, like, their art is how they unwind. Sure. You know? Sure. But now it's like. Now you own a business, You're right. so it's probably hard to unwind. Uh, it is and it isn't. I don't know. I mean, your your mind is always going, uh, for sure. I mean, I think about architecture, which sounds kind of pathetic sure. when you think about it. You're like, wow. <laughs> You're just like thinking That's about buildings. That's what you think about all the time. What, what a loser. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. In some way or another, there's absolutely lots of ways that I unwind or even find inspiration. I think nature is is really, really important for me. Um whether it's actually going on a hike or whether it's doing work in the yard or whether it's, uh, you know, any, any sort of those things. I think mm-hmm. that that's a really good place for me. And, and in, in a lot of ways, it does, like, tie into the work that we do because I think landscape is so important to, to architecture in so many ways and vice versa. And uh, that's that's a really good way. I think I often do that. And I think, you know, even though, let's say, other things like, going on a bike ride or going on a walk. I love to go on walks. And uh, 
in some way or another, architecture always kind of creeps back mm -hmm. in because we live in a city, yeah. and er everything around you is architecture in some way. Yeah. So you, you never really avoid it, but you also don't always have to analyze mm -hmm. it either. With a, with a lot of art forms, like every artist has to let go of certain creative freedoms. Sure. Um, so I would be interested in the relationship between the architect who mm -hmm. is creating this like grand uh, piece of artwork to the contractor who's like actually implementing your sure your creation right How that's talk, weird right yeah it's the it's, artist usually is yeah the creator. so like this is a <laughs> this is very a we is this the only art i'm trying to think of other art forms uh, i actually feel like in modern times and it's probably not just modern times there's a lot of artists now that, yeah i mean uh, musicians probably they yeah. don't all write their own songs completely sure. or even if they write them they might not always perform sure. them so i would but equate that's, it to it, that yeah i mean that's it, that seems like a very scary art form to be like yeah i mean like this is mine like <laughs> no you didn't do that right like it's fine absolutely you know all the time yeah all the time it's hard. That one that one is really hard because even if you think you have the vision for what you want, contractors think the opposite. Yeah. Not always, but there's absolutely uh but I think, you know, at the end of the day, you can you can critique it or you can learn from it, mm -hmm. and I think uh there's a lot you can take away from that because there's there's absolutely in a lot of art forms, there's a lot of ego that comes into play with a lot of art. And I think one place that sort of checks the architect's ego is that relationship. Yeah. You have to be able to work with people. And you have to realize that uh, every design you produce is going to be produced and built the way you designed it. Sometimes there's a reason for that. Sure. Sometimes there's a cost associated with it. Sometimes it's just the contractor doesn't want to do it that way. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's the more problematic side. Yeah. But uh, I do think that that's something that you can't fully get away from. Yeah. Now, I will say that we are actively trying to avoid that by starting our own construction company. Mm -hmm. uh, because I do think that there are a lot of instances where the builders don't see eye to eye with that. And, and doing houses is really a weird place anyway because you don't have to be a licensed architect to design a house. Mm -hmm. So not only are we now designing something and handing it off to somebody else to build, we also are doing that in an industry where the builders can design it themselves and build it. And the, that's allowed to happen. So now not only are we handing it to somebody who's the builder, they're also in some cases designers, quote hmm. unquote, because they design other houses. So now they have this other set of ideas yeah. of like, oh, no, 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 this is how we do it. This is how we do it every time. Mm -hmm. And you go, eh, we don't want to do that. Yeah. Can we not do that? Yeah. So, and I think the biggest, one of the biggest pieces that comes out of that for me, beyond just the sort of desire to have something built the way you, you imagine it to be, I think, is this whole other side of the, the profession is, new ideas in terms of how things are built. And I, I tried to touch on it the other day, and I think uh, there's the housing industry is so bizarre to me because we largely haven't changed the way we build houses in a very, very long time. Mm. And everybody's seen a house going up. Everybody's seen the dumpster out back. Everybody sees how much waste there is. Everybody knows, you know, these things are messy and intensive and take time, and everybody who you talk to, whoever built a house is has a horror story to tell about it. And uh, so that's the other piece that I've pulled away from that that interaction is, man, we need to change that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I remember you talked about, like, um, how people, like, over time just, like, slowly stopped interacting with each other. But I, I need to find this article. But it this guy, he did, like, a, stud, a comprehensive study on – um, homes with attached garages uh -huh. and homes without and like the people that the the garage was not attached they were a lot more social sure and like i don't know when what what era it came in which often you see like in a lot of poor communities it's a detached garage sure or and, no garage or no garage yeah. so i mean they're hanging out mm -hmm. on the porches but you go to the suburbs like people not to say that they don't interact but sure. people just park their car they don't have to talk to anybody right it's it almost it like, like the really architecture is designed to encourage isolation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
which is bizarre. Yeah, like people are like, "This is uh, I have a feature request. How do I?" But how can I not talk to anybody? I, that you know, I will admit that comes up a lot. Oh wow, a lot of people. Not not directly. Sure. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> how do I just? Not, I don't want to talk to people. It's sort of like this fear of being on display, mm-hmm. which I think in some ways relates to the, these weird fears of. I don't know privacy. Sure. And, but I think we we live in a weird place culturally where we're yeah. afraid. We we have this idea that we have to have this very private life, mm-hmm. and I get that. But uh, beyond just that aspect, I think like the garage as an example, a lot of a lot of people come and they want to build a house in the city, and immediately they go, "I want my garage attached," and you go. It's not going to work. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't work. These lots were never designed for that. You attach your garage, you don't have a backyard. Yeah. And now you have a 35, 40-foot driveway yeah, behind your house. Sure. So there's a lot of these ideas of what people perceive to be amenities or must-haves that do exactly what you described, mm. though. They they create this culture of isolation, and it's, it's kind of bizarre, but people don't see it that way. Yeah. They see it as... Uh, as a perk or something they're used to. Yeah. And so oftentimes we see people who have lived in a suburb or lived outside the city who then want to move into the city. But in a lot of those cases, they bring a lot of the ideas from the suburbs and want to want to plant them in the city where they don't necessarily make sense, mm-hmm. which is great in some ways because now that's where I was talking about earlier is we have to challenge them and go, no, 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 no. We, we don't want to do that. This is why. But we also get a lot of clients who want to sort of they're very particular about how connected they are to the street, how connected they are to their neighbors. Those are issues that are real no matter where you build. And I think it is an issue that society, in society we have to sort of get over. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And work to connect to people. Yeah. Whether we want to yeah. or not. It's weird because it's like I think a lot of people want to be more isolated but yeah. it's, and be more private. But also it's like social media is – Invading your privacy, right? Or but like we share when, everything when I'm in other just like, places. "Hey, babe, we need to get some new dog toys for the dog," and then there's an ad for dog toys in like 20 <laughs> seconds. I'm like, "What right. the hell's going You're on?" Like, the van, listening? dude. The van's watching. Right. Um. So, uh, back to you know y- your relationship with architect or y- yourself and contractors. Mm-hmm. Do you would you say that that's the biggest challenge that you face, or? Would it be something else? Uh, I wouldn't say that's the biggest challenge because I do think there there are a lot of individuals out there who are interested in doing things differently uh, across all professions, yeah. and I think that exists within the contractor world mm-hmm. as well. I think there are a lot of other challenges equally as great as that, and I think you know one thing that we work with a lot, we work with relatively modest budgets in a lot of cases. And I think that's one of the other biggest challenges is how to design within a very constrained budget mm-hmm. and how to come up with creative ideas that still give people what they want and need without, with knowing that you don't have just an empty pocketbook to keep pulling from. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's always a big challenge. I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but almost everything – you feel like you design it's always over budget. Sure. So then you always have to play this game yeah. of how do you get there? Why, why is why everything? Is yeah. Cause it, it seems, to, it seems to be a lot of like construction related yeah, things. It's absolutely. Just like, well, we had to go over budget. You know, It's just like, come on, man, yeah. what's going on? Yeah. I think there's a couple things there. I think one goes back to the issue of construction and how we build things. Uh, I also think there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of challenges right now. Material costs, labor shortage, labor costs, all those factor into it, especially when the economy is quote unquote good, at yeah. least in the housing market. Um, but I also think that uh, there's other issues that really sort of add to that factor. And I think part of that comes back to I've talked about this more recently, but I think in a lot of ways sort of the American dream. And I think there's this issue with how we live and sort of the perception of what we're supposed to have and what we're supposed to need to live, which a lot of times doesn't always match the, the sort of reality of what people can mm-hmm. afford. I think for a long time there has been this, and I think this is a, a much bigger issue than architecture, but I think this sort of this missed or misleading idea of the 
goal or like you know the american dream like i said people think they're supposed to have x y and z in order to be happy or to to quote unquote be successful like you were asking about earlier and a lot of times that's expensive especially when you want to do it well yeah it's easy to do some of those things and check some of those boxes when everything else is cheap and put up poorly and not well designed or well considered but it doesn't last yeah and so i think it's it's sort of re-educating individuals to say where are the priorities in what we do and we have to kind of challenge them to say the priorities aren't necessarily on uh, space and bedrooms and bathrooms and kitchens and this and that and the other it's more about quality space responsibly built efficient sustainable putting money into different places that frankly a lot of times people don't see mm-hmm. you know you, you want to build a, an efficient house that's going to be easy to maintain easy to heat and cool environmentally responsible and a lot of people you, you don't see that yeah. so people sometimes have a hard time processing hey let's put money here instead of into your granite countertops yeah. sure yeah. Um, but the kitchens, man, that's like the selling feature. <laughs> right. If I'm like looking at a house, I'm like, dude, this kitchen's bomb. And mm-hmm. like, oh, this bathroom? Yeah, let's get it. <laughs> um, so I'd be interested. I mean, I know we talked about this a little bit, but sure. because you're an architect, because you build homes, and I mean, we're sitting in a very like gentrified area sure. of Indianapolis. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on just gentrification in general. Because I think for me, I was always against any white person doing something good good in a community um years ago now i feel like i've matured and i'm not necessarily against any white person i don't know why i said white person just because i can't i guess but um just like people doing good things in the city i think it it definitely and like art in some ways is kind of the start of gentrification, you know, like found square, like artists moved there, started doing cool things. And now everyone's there, right. You know, same thing like in this neighborhood and all these other neighborhoods. Mm So that's a lot of, I'm saying a lot of words, (laughs) but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I think, uh, well, it's interesting because gentrification comes up a lot in architecture Mm -hmm. for, for good reason. But I think, uh, First of all, I would say, obviously, you talk about race and the role it plays in gentrification. As a white man, I'm in a privileged place to even be able to give my opinion sure. in a lot of times yeah. about what I think gentrification is. Uh, I think the reality in a lot of ways, and it's really difficult for somebody who practices architecture, is we talk about it a lot, we think about it a lot, but I also understand that I can't necessarily solve it, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be aware of it and be thinking about it when we practice but I think one of the biggest issues, uh, you, you know, there's so many bigger issues beyond a house that sort of gets to the root of why gentrification exists. And I think a lot of that comes back to income inequality. Hmm. I think there's there's much bigger issues at play here that we need to be talking about as a culture and as a country beyond somebody coming into a neighborhood and building a more expensive house than what's around it. Now, there are there are serious issues that can come out of that if the homeowner has, we'll call them, bad intentions. Mm-hmm. But I think we oftentimes boil it down to new people coming into a neighborhood equals bad for that neighborhood. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of other issues that we are talking about but we don't. They sometimes get lost in the conversation. That a lot of individuals in that neighborhood need. They, they're already making an income that they can't even sustain themselves. Period. No matter whether they live in that neighborhood or if they live in another neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So until we can solve that, we can't solve gentrification. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, I think, a hard conversation for people to have because it's so over most of our heads of how do we even begin to think about that? And so then I go back to architecture and I say, well, what can we do yeah. when we think about these neighborhoods and when we put, put a new house in a neighborhood that is changing? Uh, it's not always an easy answer. I don't always know the answer. Uh, I think one thing that I take a lot of pride in, at least on a number of the early projects we've done, is we've tried really, really hard to work with individuals who, yes, they're, they're better than average off, uh, they make good wages, they have good paying jobs, they're educated, 
they have college degrees, um, but we're not designing homes at the top end of the market, uh, primarily speaking. I mean, there, there are occasions we are where we are working on more expensive homes, but by and large, if you look at a place like Fountain Square and, I can, and Bates Hendricks also, and I think you could point to some of the homes we've worked on, and the newer homes have just blown the roof off of those budgets. And I think there's this other issue of who are you designing for? What are those individuals' intentions moving there? Mm -hmm. Do they want to play an active role in the neighborhood? Do they want to get involved? Do they want to participate with the neighborhood that already exists? Or is it a, is it a developer or a flipper who's literally just coming in, Try putting as money. little money as possible in, and pulling out maximum profit? Mm -hmm. And... You, you see that a lot. And, uh, and the unfortunate reality is when a neighborhood starts to quote-unquote gentrify, that happens. And I don't think we can stop it. We can hopefully talk more about it, but but it's it's tricky. Mm -hmm. How do you think we could stop it? Pay people better? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think, you know, construction is a good example of – there's there's right now there I hear a lot of contractors always talking. There's a labor shortage, which in turn you go well. Why is there a labor shortage? And I think in a lot of ways we've sort of taught people that construction jobs are not desirable jobs. Mm -hmm. They're quote unquote low education yeah. levels, so you don't have to have a college why degree. Why do you think that is though? Why? why like I'm just trying to think about like I feel like I would feel a sense of shame if I had a contracting job. Sure. Which doesn't make, cause like you could be a plumber yeah. and make like 90 grand sure. a year. Like that's a good living, yeah. you know, but I don't know I think why it's there's the cultural perception we've created around those professions. Yeah. And it's bizarre when you really think about it. Now, obviously, there's there's this other reality. I talk about the labor shortage and cost of construction is already high currently. And then you want to pay construction workers well. There, in turn, your costs are going to go up. Mm -hmm. But hopefully, there's this idea that if you pay certain trades more, you know, sort of everybody in society starts to make more money, and then they can ultimately afford more. So maybe the, the idea that as we pay construction workers more drives up the cost of the home, maybe that's not as bad in some ways because now they're making more money to be able to afford more. Uh, but I also think there's, back to the conversation about rethinking the way we make houses, I think there's a lot of opportunity to kind of rethink what a contractor or what a construction worker could be mm -hmm. and what their role could be in a job. And then how do we educate those people to take those jobs that probably in a lot of cases don't even exist yet? Yeah. Or sort of retool re their mind to think maybe beyond just, you know, putting a wood-framed house together. Sure. Hmm. Interesting. No, yeah. I'm just, I'm like, think, now I'm like, <laughs> yeah. think, I'm like, oh, why do we go here? Because now I'm just <laughs> like going to think really hard. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh... It's it's all that's all that is so complicated, but I think Yeah, I mean it, it is because like I think it we're dealing with people and people are so just like different. Yeah. And you know, it's it's a huge challenge just to But I think the fact that we're having the conversation mm -hmm. and that as an architect who designs houses we're talking about this is really, really important. Sure. Because I think a lot of architects avoid those issues. Whether they I'm not saying they avoid residential architecture because of it, but in a lot of ways also architects have sort of, and, and I don't know if it's their fault or if it's uh, other professions sort of mission or goal, but f largely speaking, architects aren't that involved in residential construction and residential design period. Most homes that people live in today have not even been touched by an architect. Because of the fact you don't have to be a licensed architect to design a house, anybody and everybody can design them. So the builders who build the production homes in the suburbs, they typically don't work with architects. They typically have their own team in-house cranking out the same design over and over again. So whether that's our profession's fault or whether that's other outside professions sort of goal, I think in a lot of ways, we as architects have separated ourselves from the yeah. conversation altogether. For sure. So we don't even have to worry about it because we're not involved in it. Yeah. So when you are, when you're working in the city, 
you really have to be aware of it and you have to at least be talking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you, um, uh, I know you mentioned that you were getting some pushback from your housing initiative that you want to do. Sure. Over, uh, elaborate on that. Sure. So, and I would say it's not actually just unique to this project, but, uh, so the one project in particular is not too far from where we are now. So east side of Indianapolis, I would call it a neighborhood that has not seen significant investment in a very long time. And actually, uh, I think a good example of that is that they really don't have an active neighborhood association or organization. Yeah, because you were saying like the president of the organization doesn't even live in the neighborhood. Sure, she owns property in the neighborhood but actually lives outside of it. Now, she's incredibly active in the neighborhood and and is a really fantastic woman and – is a but great that still seems for like the a neighborhood, but kind of bizarre, right? It super like <laughs> I mean, I I mean I don't know, and I I don't like speaking ill of people, but like that just seems like a disconnect to me. Absolutely, you know, it's just like, well, then why don't you live there? Sure, if you want to change something. But I think that neighborhood is such a good example of, and I've heard this a lot in various conversations about certain neighborhoods and certain individuals have felt so disconnected from or so uh, isolated or unable to participate in the process that they they check out of the process. Mm -hmm. So that neighborhood on Bevel is is an example, I think, of a lot of individuals who live there who simply have felt that their voices weren't heard, so they uh, they have essentially checked out of the process. So I think that sort of directly translates to the lack of an association a lack of organized conversations in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Also, I think, you know, there is a reality that there's a decent amount of vacancy there. Yeah. So there's not the density that was there before. And there's not the density that exists in other urban neighborhoods closer mm-hmm. to downtown. So you deal with some of those issues. So that's kind of the context in a, in a nutshell of yeah. what we're dealing with there. So we're going in there with the idea that we'll take two city lots that traditionally had a single home on each and we'll put three homes on each on each property. So we're essentially building this small community within the community. Six homes, small scale, efficient, trying to deal with issues of affordability, and also the idea of community. So the idea is that all of these homes are or- oriented more so inward toward each other on a common green space that sort of forces interaction between mm-hmm. the residents. So the reality we're running into with the city is it doesn't conform with the zoning code. So the zoning code in a lot of cases really sort of reflects, I would say it reflects the 60s when a lot of the codes were written, when zoning codes oftentimes came into effect. It has been amended since then to sort of more appropriately reflect how we live today and yeah. how our cities developed. Like 1982, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did one in the last few years. Okay, good. It it made some really good strides, but it missed a lot of opportunities to really allow for more creative redevelopment. Mm-hmm. And so the city, not to call the city out, but the city has sort of they haven't said no to the project yet because we haven't gotten to that point yet, but they've absolutely said, we're not sure that this is a good thing. We're not sure we want to support it. And Why are they wrong? Why are they wrong? Because I think it's sort of our first attempt to start to address some of the issues we just talked about, about uh, issues of gentrification and issues of redevelopment in neighborhoods. I think there's there's a really clear and sort of easy thing that I do when I look at a neighborhood that has seen tremendous disinvestment and a lot of separation and flight and abandonment. I think there's a reality that obviously there are a lot of economic and social uh, factors that have gone to the decline of the neighborhood mm-hmm. and sort of led to it. But I also think there's this reality that there could actually be some issues with how the neighborhood was developed in the first place. Yeah. And I think in a lot of cases, for some reason, cities like Indianapolis love the idea that a neighborhood should should be recreated the way it was. And I would go, well, why? It, it didn't work. And I know that's sort of simplifying it, but in, in a lot of cases, why would we want to rebuild it the way it was? Yeah. Don't we want to take this in some weird way as an opportunity to do something different and to sort of address some of the shortcomings that happened prior? And so I think you see, you know, neighborhoods like this 
uh, there are a lot of examples of really large, old, outdated homes. They're very expensive to renovate. They're very expensive to maintain. They're very expensive to heat and cool. So I think in a lot of ways, that's why you see some of these homes sit vacant or fall into disrepair because people can't afford to maintain or fix them. Sure. So why wouldn't we create a development that would allow for smaller scale, simpler to maintain, higher efficiency homes? Also, while we do that, maybe let's start to think about issues of density and also community and, and sort of community interaction and engagement. So, I, I mean, I think that's sort of my sales pitch of why mm -hmm. I think the idea we have is important and should be approved. Um, I just think the city, and, and I've heard it from the planners themselves, certain ones will say the city is afraid of density. I mean, straight up said it in a meeting I had, the city is afraid of density. Hmm. That, why? <laughs> I, you know, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's those kind of issues where you go, well, A, we're not going to back down from it because we believe it's a really, really important conversation we need to have. And I think this project is really, really important to us to demonstrate that we can think about our, our neighborhoods differently and we can develop them differently. But uh, it's a process to get there. It's a process for the city. It's a process for the planners. It's a process for the neighborhoods because there's also this kind of fear from a lot of residents, not necessarily on this project, but you see it all the time in projects. We don't want that. That's different. That's not what their neighborhood's supposed to be like. Who decided, you know, in a lot of ways, who decided what the neighborhood should be like? I think if, I think there are more important issues about uh, inclusion, affordability, access, creative solutions to problems. What do you mean by inclusion? Uh, designing and building something that's attainable by more more of the population again i'm not i'm not saying that in this project we will solve affordable housing by sure. any stretch we're still going to design and build a product that not everybody can afford we already know that but we we also know that we're going to design and build something that largely isn't being built in the city right now it, you can go on to any sort of real estate site and look up new construction in Indianapolis, and you can look at the price points. There's not a lot out there for a large percentage of the population. Yeah. And so we think that we need to start thinking about that differently and, and start trying to solve it, trying to address it at least. But it's not an easy thing to do, yeah. especially when the market's good. People just want to build. People don't have to think about it. They just build something and, and throw a big price tag on it. Boom, sold. Yeah, Market supports it. But is that really solving any issue? Hmm. So, so I don't know. It's it's definitely been an eye opening experience and sort of made us realize that we have a long ways to go as a city, mm -hmm. uh, and and encouraging new and different ideas on how we design and build our city. Yeah. And I think residentially speaking, you know, you know, we see a lot of larger scale developments that that sort of challenge the way the neighborhood existed yeah. prior. We see apartment buildings happening everywhere. Those get approval, and, and I hate to say it, but I think in some ways those get approval because of the money behind them. Yeah, We're going in asking to build a small development uh, where we're not big developers, we're not throwing millions of dollars at it, uh, whereas you know down the street you could find a four-story apartment building with you know 150 units in it. Mm -hmm. How is that... How is that okay, but what we're doing not okay? And that's what I think I struggle with is sure. I think there. Yeah, no, that makes a lot. lot there of are a lot sense. of sort of in-betweens that we don't want to address. Mm -hmm. And I think we're kind of afraid of, I think there's a fear of people abusing, abusing successful projects to create money-driven, profit-driven projects out of them. Yeah. But the reality is that happens no matter what the project type is. Mm-hmm. People want to make money, and they're going to try to make the most money they can. Sure. What What do you think, if you could sum up your responsibility as an architect, like what, what do you think that would be, your role in the world, or just in Indianapolis? I think because we do houses and we, do, we deal with people and living every single day, I think it's we have a responsibility to people, to, I think, to people and to the environment. 
I think we have a responsibility to design and create places for more people, but also to do that in a way that respects the environment around us. And I think sometimes we get really, really caught up in kind of the pretty pictures and sort of the flashy images, especially as architects. And I think it's really important for us to step back sometimes and say, what is a house? Yeah. What sort of purpose does a house provide? And sort of how can we use the tools and design knowledge we have to provide that to a greater percentage of the population? I mean, there's there's so much more beyond that. You know, when you talk about cities and density and development and transportation and density and all of those things, I think they all play a part in that. They all play a part in in hopefully improving people's lives and also minimizing our impact on our surroundings at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, expanding that view. So what do you think the role of the artist is today in the world? Man, I think, I think art, uh, is largely provides a sense of happiness in a lot of cases. And I don't know if it's always, inherent happiness but i think it's it it doesn't always have to be that obvious i think you know we talked about what is beauty and i think what is art and i think beauty makes people feel good whatever that means and i think art does the same thing but i think sometimes art should challenge people Mm -hmm. and a lot of art comes from that place a lot of art is a political tool to challenge issues in society Mm -hmm. and to call out those issues and I think there's no reason that architecture can't function the same way. Sure. You know, the fact that we, we have a project that the city's not sure they like, I would argue that this is not always the case, but I would argue in our case that that means our architecture is doing something. Oh, 100%. And if it's not doing something and if it's not making somebody mad, then you're not doing enough. And I think that's the issue I was getting to earlier is architects often sort of fall into the the easy day-to-day process they don't want conflict they don't want to argue they don't want to fight and that's really in a lot of ways what a lot of art is especially when you get into art in cities you know a lot of art is political Mm. and it should be and uh i think architecture should absolutely be the same and should do those same things yeah yeah that's good (laughs) dude we're like are we already out we're almost like at an hour jeez that like <laughs> you're like man you are rambling here. no it's like great i think we're a little shy of an hour but man that was good that i don't know sick. it's 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 great i will say you know plug for the podcast though it's really great to be able to have these kinds of conversations sure. and whether it's an artist talking an architect a designer of any sort i think they would all agree they don't get to have these conversations enough mm-hmm. and i think we we like to talk about things sure. when we get What's to talk like, about how, them. How can we make more spaces for conversation like this? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I think they're already happening. I think they're starting to pop up more and more. I think our profession, architecture, has been notoriously bad at doing it. I think we... So uh, the primary platform in Indianapolis for architects is the American Institute of Architects, the local chapter. It's a once a month meeting. I would argue that it's largely old white men. Hopefully they're not listening to this podcast. <laughs> if they are, <laughs> screw you. Yeah, but yeah. I think it's a reflection on a, a major issue in our profession. Yeah. And uh, there have been a few events recently. So they just partnered up with PUP to do the Daylight Series. Uh, and it's essentially, I think it's once a month and they've brought in, so I've only, they've only had one episode so far, but it was two black women. One was an architect, one was a planner, and they both talked about diversity and inclusion within the profession specifically, which is a serious problem in architecture. And, uh, I walked away from that conversation going, man, Hey, we have a huge problem that, that not enough people are talking about, but B, this was a fantastic conversation. And they were both young. They were both excited. They were both really well-spoken, just very, very exciting people to listen to. And I think it was incredibly obvious that we need to have more of that. And so in some ways, it's, 
I think the other issue, though, when you say, how do we have more of these things, is you're already doing it, but people like myself needing to, A, come to more of them, and then, B, encourage the people that work for us and work in the same industry mm -hmm. as us, making sure they're at them, too. Yeah. Because you just kind of have to pull people in. But you also need to make sure that you're pulling everybody in. Because I think it goes back to that issue of neighborhood organizations and who's involved and who's not. And a lot of times a huge percentage of the representation or population of that neighborhood is not involved in those conversations. So that's, that's an even bigger issue yeah. that we have to somehow address is how do we make sure those populations are, are involved mm -hmm. and involved in the conversation? Because the, the irony of that conversation we had or, or that talk a few weeks ago was we're talking about inclusion and diversity. And then you look around at the audience. Sure. <laughs> so it's a bunch of white people. Yeah. And that's great that they're there yeah. and they're hearing that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not to like take a dump on them, but it's an obvious uh, but it's also like, example yeah, of the room. there's an issue. an issue. Yeah. So, so I don't know how we saw that. I, I will. I'll give a shameless plug for kind of where I think I think we talked about this briefly, but I think another sort of future hope or goal for Neon is education for youth, mm -hmm. and I think education, especially for kids is such an important way to start to do what you're describing. If we can get to kids at a young age and inspire them and have these kinds of conversations with them, we can change the conversation for the next generation entirely. Yeah. And so I think that came out of the daylight conversation as well was why are there not a lot of minorities going into architecture or in architecture? And one of the girls on the on the panel essentially said, because we're not telling young minorities to be architects or we're not inspiring them to be or, or, or engaging in them in what that yeah. means. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a tremendous opportunity. And I think for, for Neon, we really, really want to explore how do we as professionals engage young kids in what it means to be an architect, but also to, to sort of do that in their own communities and sort of hopefully build this uh, mentality from young kids that A, they can be architects, B, they can just use design to solve real world problems in their neighborhood and outside their neighborhood and see uh, mm. kind of just in that process, give back to those neighborhoods they live in and maybe even, you know, feel a whole, f whole kind of newfound sense of, connection or appreciation for where they live yeah yeah it's just, it was um we uh, just talked to consuelo and she was she like started doing her artwork to like reconnect to feel reconnected to because she was a uh she's from guatemala she was adopted but like uh it was actually fascinating she's like i started creating art because i couldn't communicate with people hmm. and then but then i which morphed into just like her creating art to like feel reconnected to her community and her upbringing and stuff like that, which was, I thought was pretty fascinating. Yeah. But, um, let's, um, we end it on a lighter note. Um, not that this was that heavy, but it's a speed round. Okay. Doesn't mean, really mean anything. <laughs> um, so you have a great laugh, by the way. Oh, have have people told you that? I've heard it a couple times. Okay, good. <laughs> well, okay. Well, don't, don't get it. Yeah, it don't get it. <laughs> Calm down. Okay. Yeah. Stop laughing. All right. Um, so, um, what is the last meal you're going to eat before you die? Ice cream. Ice cream. What flavor? <laughs> that, these, mint chocolate This chip. has like nothing to do with, very little to do with art. So, it's like. Mint chocolate okay. chip. Mint chocolate chip. Uh, what's your favorite word? Love. Love. I don't know if that's word? true. Hate. No, I don't know. I don't know. That's such an easy response. But we'll go with it. Uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? When people bite their nails. Mm. Shout out to Joey. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you can consume one artist for the rest of your life, who, who would it be? Gosh, we'll say the Beatles. The Beatles, okay. If you could be one person for a day, who would it be? Jeez, I don't know that one. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> uh, they're going to make a movie about you. Who's playing you? <laughs> Ryan Gosling. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody told me I looked like him. Um, who would be your antagonist? 
Wow, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. I don't know. <laughs> That's the second time someone said that today. Uh, who would your love interest be? Oh, jeez. My real love interest. Okay. <laughs> Cheesy response. Uh, uh, what's the last thing you listened to? Uh, Tosh Sultana again. Okay. Same thing from the top. Uh, yeah. What's the first thing you'd buy if you won the lottery? Land. Land. All the land? Buy <laughs> all the land. <laughs> just a beautiful piece somewhere. Um, all right. Where's the last place that you would live before you died? If you could like move anywhere. Boy. Man, that's hard. There's so many beautiful places. Yeah. I love the Pacific Northwest, but only in the summer. Yeah. I, I would live there in the summer. Okay. So I'd have to die in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could, I mean, I guess you could control that um thanks for doing this man yeah that was um we get if you ever want to come back yeah please come back because we could probably do like a eight parter (laughs) just like talking about how we should just pick a specific topic oh yeah and then we need to like take it to action yeah (laughs) people can hold us accountable (laughs) yeah exactly no, seriously, if you ever want to come on and like talk about this stuff, I'd be really Yeah. I think it'd be good. Okay. Um, plug your stuff. What do you where you at? Yeah. Where can people find you? Neonarchitecture.com. Uh Neon Architecture on Instagram. And uh we're on Facebook too, but really Instagram and mm-hmm. uh, our website. What about you as a person? Or do you want do you not want them to know that? Like where to find me on Yeah, are you on Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. Brian Birch at okay. Brian Birch. Uh you got the name too. Yeah. I got the name. Feel pretty good. So, and then look for our work around town. Okay. Hopefully. Dope. And yeah. around the world. <laughs> yeah. We have like one person who listens to this in Myanmar. So oh, wow. BF. Yeah. BF. I'm just kidding. My band does, though. That's kind of funny. Yeah. It's like you can pull up your Spotify. There's like three people in Myanmar who nice. listen to this. <laughs> like, you have to go cool. tour. Them. We do. Totally. <laughs> we have to like go into debt to just like play a show for three people. I mean, it's people. beautiful, so you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, thanks for doing this. Can yeah. you tell people to go do art? Yeah. <laughs> go do art and become architects. Yeah, do yeah. that too. Do that. It's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. Anyone could do it. If you love it. Yeah. Just cool. do it. Just do it. Go do art. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Art Speaker. If you want to find out more about us and Art Speak, go to artspeak.co. You can find out everything you need to know. Stay tuned for a peek at next week's episode. And I've always had this like interest in, you know, kind of connecting back with my Guatemalan roots. Like, so I was adopted from Guatemala when I was three. So since then, I've always like created art because that was my only way of communication. Because I didn't know English when I moved here. So, um, so yeah. So like, just trying to figure out how to like, I guess give back to my country and like I guess subconsciously giving back to my family.